Hi FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Um, this morning I have a guest I have long wanted to have and I just have to hang my head in shame that I've not had him on, but he will be familiar to listeners. Um, he is Stephen Grust, who is the head of the African Governance and Diplomacy Program at the South African Institute of International Affairs. And um, he, he's been on Chai many times. He writes regularly in the South African Jewish Report and is quoted therein often. Um, Stephen holds an MSc from the London School of Economics and Political Science in International Relations and a BA in a BA Honours in International Relations from Wits University. Um, Stephen, the introduction doesn't do your knowledge, experience and uh, uh, such good things that we can exploit justice, but welcome and I'm really glad to have you here. Thanks for having me, Sarah. I look forward to chatting to you. As things move quickly in watching the ANC sort of alienate the West, for want of a better way of describing it, and and, uh, hooking on to, I suppose, the world, largely the world's poor autocratic um, and whatever institution uh, countries including Iran and uh, and uh, Saudi Arabia to which which have been welcomed to BRICS we've we're looking at the sort of developments that have happened really quickly and I think the first one I'd like I'd be interested in your comment on is the is the South Africa's unsuccessful foray back to the ICJ essentially to get the ICJ to do and say something that would stop Israel's incursion into Rafa uh, yes uh, South Africa went back to the ICJ of course the case that was brought uh, and uh, adjudicated on the special measures last month um, South Africa is convinced that Israel is not complying and Yes, with the imminent invasion of Rafah, where many of the refugees uh, from the north of Gaza have assembled, essentially have nowhere to go. I mean, I think it it, it would be, and if it happens, it will be a, a pretty much a bloodbath. Um, it's it's going to be very very difficult fighting. It's going to be very difficult for Israel to minimise um, civilian casualties, and Hamas knows that, and Hamas is playing on that. But yes, South Africa was knocked back at the ICJ. They did not uh, consider what it had brought to be urgent any more so than the case that was originally brought. So they said Israel must comply with what was uh, requested in the uh, in the original case, but that they are not in a position to impose any kind of further emergency measures. So in terms of the lawfare that's going on, um, I guess you've got to score one point to Israel for this, but South Africa won't be deterred and is absolutely determined to use the courts to hound Israel. Uh, I mean, there's preparations for an international criminal court um, indictments against Netanyahu, similar to what we saw against President Putin. Uh, And at that stage, uh, the the International Criminal Court was something that South Africa said, no, we actually want to leave. And then the same day, the president was contradicted. So, you know, it suits us when it suits us. and uh, but uh, yeah, so I don't th- I don't think South Africa will be deterred. I think Israel will probably take a little bit of heart, but uh, the ICJ has also got another case on the occupation um, of, uh, of of territories in in the region by by Israel, which Israel denies that it's occupation. Um, and there's a whole week of hearings. It's not directly connected to the genocide case, but it is 
putting Israel under the microscope. And my understanding is it's not going to defend itself. It's going to leave that to the Americans uh, who have a 30-minute slot. Um, you know, I think Israel's had such exasperating experience with the UN and its courts and its organs that it just doesn't bother anymore. Mm. I think the genocide case really... Um, got to the nerve mm. that that and, and Israel was so outraged that it did put up uh, it did put up a case. Mm. Yeah, I think that, that that's the problem and that's that's the given. My only concern and fully understanding Israel's position regarding the UN, I think most of us probably have shared that their views on the UN, um, is that in a way the this week is not actually about it's it's a, it's a non-binding um, recommendation um, or d- opinion. Um, I think what one of the, my concerns um, is that I think there, there's a tendency still for Israel not to understand how little the world knows hmm. about anything, and that although it may get no pleasure or sucker out of this particular event using the opportunity to actually explain how what what occupation is and what the history is is it's 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 a it's almost more necessary pr exercise mm-hmm. than anything else and i'm concerned that particularly in the current flavor where everything um anti-semitism has been allowed to really display itself in in all its non-glory it it's a, at least it's an opportunity it might be an, i would see it as an opportunity for its supporters to be able to go out have, defending what Israel has said instead of having to mount the defense from the word go and, you know, the power is just not, not, not there in great numbers. Yeah, I mean, I did a story on the ICJ case that South Africa brought and a couple of people that I interviewed expressed exactly that, that it is an opportunity for Israel to put its case. I think it just feels like um, it's it's cleaning the orgy and stables mm. that it's just going to be a drop in the ocean that it, it's got more things to worry about it's going to rule against them anyway why even bother but um, you know if you look at somebody like uh, Hillel Neuer mm. who, who runs NGO Monitor and uh, uh, sorry UN, UN Watch, UN UN Watch. Yeah. you know that guy's brave as anything mm. and, and every every minute of speaking time that he gets in the UN Human Rights Council he uses to defend Israel Absolutely. so this is seeding some ground yeah. um, and you just then start further back and further back and further back and uh, yeah the international pressure on Israel is, is mounting mm. No, I, I mean just to comment uh, finally that watching Hillel Noya in the in the in the House of Representatives on UNRWA, I mean there he had time to speak and and boy he spoke. I mm. mean you almost didn't need anyone else mm. uh, because he's so knowledgeable and mm. has so much experience, and it's almost as if you know in this respect the diaspora has to keep doing 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 mm. the hard yards mm. on that. Mm. Um, what was two inter- two things that coincided um, quite extraordinarily? The ANC, with the Secretary General Fakile Mbalula, has taken a, a grouping to Moscow for a conference, invited by um, United Russia, which is really uh, Vladimir Putin's party to to use as he as he as he deems fit. With a, inviting a whole lot of groups from a, parties from across the world, from the sort of countries that we would not do business with, let's put it that way, to talk about how to deal with Western the, the Western neo-colonialism. Of course, the ironies are 
so were so so profound. I mean, you've got Russia in the Ukraine. It's 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 been in Chechnya. It's been in Georgia. It's the the Baltic states are feeling nervous. China has ambitions. Those are the people who are going to advise. Those countries are going to be among those discussing how to deal with Western neo-colonialism. And added to that is it was they were there for the 15th, 16th, and 17th, and on the 16th. The death of Alexei Navalny was, was was announced, and it two things I think don't matter in that. So the two issues to come. The one is whether he was a, a liberal or not is irrelevant. It's that he was a, a political prisoner and had been before a justice system that has nothing to do with the rule of law. Um, and and secondly, that in South Africa, one of the great things about the the dissolution of apartheid was the end of the of the possibility of anyone becoming a political prisoner in this country. Mm. So those, I mean, it's a confluence of events that's just extraordinary. Yes, I mean, Russia is doing everything in its power to show that it's not isolated, to show that the Western sanctions have not cut it off from the international community. So it was uh, very prominent in the BRICS summit that we had in South Africa. Of course, uh, Putin couldn't come and didn't come because of the ICC indictment, but Lavrov, was all, or the foreign minister, was, was, was all over. I mean, Russia also makes the argument that neocolonialism is alive and well and that the developing world is absolutely exploited by their former colonial masters and that we need a multipolar world, a, a, a world where the U.S. is the sole superpower, is bad for everyone. Um, it's asserting Russia's uh, uh, kind of um, uh, great power status, uh, certainly in its region. And, you know, it's, it's long loved to play the ideological card. So here you have, as you said, I think it was 60 different parties, uh, about 400 people on, I'm sure, an all-expenses-paid trip to Moscow. It's not the first time the ANC has been there. They went for a bilateral with uh, United Russia uh, a couple of months ago last year. The ANC Youth League bizarrely went <laughs> to observe the referenda of the occupied uh, okay. uh, Ukrainian territories. Um, Parliament has been to go and speak to the Duma. So, you know, Russia's not, uh, is rolling out the red carpet for, for all of these. And, and it's just bizarre. I mean, and, as you say, he took a quite a high-level delegation. It included Obed Bapella, who's the head of the International Relations Committee. He took the head of the Youth League. So, you know, these are important figures within the ANC to go and basically blab about colonialism and how the world is still under the heel of the West and uh, that we need a multipolar world. I think we do need a multipolar world, but I don't think it should be on Russia's terms. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, the, the developing world is being used as props by Russia in this big political theater exposition. Mm. Uh, I was just going to say, isn't it sort of a sort of redux of what the Soviets did with the liberation movements during the yeah, Cold War. Absolutely, and they, that worked, uh, or they thought it worked, and uh, some of those ties are still uh, paying off. Uh, you know, we have a number of people in our in our cabinet and, and high up in government that speak Russian or that studied in Russia or, or the former Eastern Bloc, and those 
familial ties, those friendship ties have endured for 30, 40 years. Um, so indeed, I think it is trying to replicate uh, that, those heady days when, when Russia was supporting Frelimo mm. and, and uh, uh, ZANU and uh, the ANC. Mm. Um, on Navalny, I've, I'm, I haven't yet seen an expression of regret from the South African government. I haven't checked, but it's not something that I've come across. I think it's going to be very kind of awkward for South Africa. Um, I think it's just absolutely mm. tragic. Uh, Putin is ruthless. He will destroy his his uh, opponents one way or the other. If poison doesn't get you, a helicopter crash or an airplane crash or a dying under mysterious circumstances in, in you know. And, and Navalny was hounded and he was taken to a prison in the Arctic Circle, living in terrible conditions. Um, and and this was all for showing up Putin, mm-hmm. really. Well, it's it's a it's a yeah. I mean, it, you know, if it's it's also to me, it's also a sign of weakness that you know, someone who's as powerful as Putin can't just dismiss, you know, what people say about him as the ANC is forced to do, which suggests that the ANC would really rather like the way Putin runs government than uh, than the constitution. But the, what I did see, very literally, very brief, uh, briefly. Place Munyatela uh, uh, of, of uh, the, the sorry, I'm getting wrong. Um, the DG at Doko F- said we're not going to release anything on Navalny's death. But there was one comment I think from the minister herself, and she said they've noted the death in in, in prison, etc. Um, and the Russian authorities will investigate. <laughs> I mean, that's something you might be better off making no comment yeah. at all, in yeah. in, in in my view. Um, what I wanted to also look at is, you've seen the invitation, very, very under the radar invitation by Sir Ramaphosa to the president of Iran, Raisi, to come to South Africa, I think, in the next week or so. Now, I mean, we know how cozy South Africa is with Iran and possibly worse, but Raisi is not just another autocratic Iranian president. In 1988, he was part of a judicial panel that ordered the execution of the estimated 5,000 people who were in jail in from pretty much, I guess, the early 80s after Khomeini came back to Iran for opposing the regime, L- many of them students, as they often are. And, uh, I mean, even one of my colleagues was fascinated that I'd raised this because no one, mm. no one knows about it. Mm. And yet, these are the people that... The, it's brazen. It's, it's fascinating. Look, uh, I think when the ANC makes a friend, it makes a friend for life. So you'd love loyalty uh, like that in your in your own friendship group, I think. Um, you know, South Africa is balancing between Saudi Arabia and Iran all the time. So if the Saudis come, they feel it's necessary to invite the Iranians. As you say, there are rumors flying around. Uh, nothing proved yet. And I wish, uh, you know, in, maybe I'm being like Mr. Trump here. I wish our investigative journalists would dig in and find something. Um, in that, you know, there's little rumors that the the Iranians are bankrolling the ANC, a, p- a party that was bankrupt not too long ago and couldn't pay salaries. And now as we enter um, the uh, election season, seem to be flush with cash. Um, and, of course, have displayed uh, great solidarity with the Palestinians uh, in terms of their wardrobe and, and everything else. Um, you know, people have said, is there a connection? I, d- I, d- I don't see any evidence of that. And I think uh, we've got to be cautious. But Iran, as you say, has been a friend of South Africa, a friend of the ANC for many, many years. 
And yes, we are having uh, we're having the president here mm. on the twenty seventh. Um, you know, it is official. I have seen the press release from from Durko, so it's not like it's a rumor that it's going to happen. Um, as you said in your intro, Iran is one of the countries that's been invited into BRICS along with Saudi Arabia. Uh, Iran has very good relations with Russia, um, and and so that kind of triangulation, I think, is is also uh, around in our politics. And uh, yeah, we you know we will tell the Americans and everybody else that we will choose our own friends. It's like uh, President Museveni of Uganda said when when uh, Lavrov visited, he said to the West, "You don't tell us who our enemies are. We will choose our own enemies." <laughs> <laughs> that's the, that, that, that's the way. Um, I wanted to just sort of di- divert back to the ICC because I see. I mean, we talked. Putin is is now persona non grata from from the ICC's point of view, so he can't travel without the risk of being arrested. Netanyahu faces the same possibility. But interestingly is that the group of the families of hostages have gone to the ICC. Now, this is particularly interesting because I think it's, it's probably the right forum to get exposure on what is a... a um, a breach of 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 law of of the rules of law. Oh, sorry, the rules of war. Um, and it's also it's also struck struck me as one of those things that. And I, I, I it worries me that the West has, has, has sort of allowed, if I can put it that way, the hostages to be this bargaining chip, as if you know, ex hostages, why why prisoners in Israeli jails, and it's all part of the process. I mean. Sh- Maybe I'm just being at this stage, you know, completely just gobsmacked for reasons of of of, of anger, but it, it, it's there are two concerns. One is the fact that it has allowed it has allowed the hostages to become this sort of bargaining chip. Um, when whatever whatever is known about the hostages is in very much in the public domain, it is not good. It is a modus vivendi of the way Hamas operates and Qatar who is beyond description by virtue of its of, of its relationship with Hamas and Iran and funding is sort of acting as this mediator on the hostages and one would kind of expect the West to say well here here is it all the hostages if you, um, Hamas surrender if you want the war to stop and the war's got to stop. But we keep seeing this, and I'm mm. sort of lighting a bit, but we keep seeing this move and we'll chat after the break um, to whatever happens, Israel's must not beat the Palestinians. On that note, lots to talk about. Hashtag you don't have to be Jewish. Right, Stephen, that's a lot for you to unpack. <laughs> Yeah, I think. Just remind me. It was uh, the, the fact that the hostages, the, oh, the hostages. are going to. Yes, I mean, I think it's very significant that the parents are, and the families of the hostages are going to. I think it's the ICJ. The incident, or is it the it's, ICC? It's ICC. I think because um, ICJ is. Oh, it does, I wouldn't have had uh, jurisdiction. jurisdiction over yeah. Hamas. I mean, you know, that's going to be a very interesting case if that gets mounted. Um, they are incredibly frustrated. They're incredibly frustrated with. Uh, Netanyahu um, you know I don't th- I, I think that sometimes his own political survival is tied up into the length and the prosecution of the war um, because you know so many people have said look this guy's out of there 
I've read his biography, his autobiography. He's uh, he's a tough guy, and he doesn't disappear very soon. But you know, many have said when this war is over, there's going to oh. be an election, and you know, if this happened on his watch. So I think he's under pressure by the by the uh, the the families of the hostages. I think they are trying everything. They're going to protest. They're interrupting the Knesset. Uh, now they're going a legal route. Um, I, I don't know how that is going to proceed, but it again puts pressure on mm. on the Netanyahu government to do something and it's it's tragic because uh, these these hostages are obviously living in the most appalling conditions they don't know what's happening they, they it seems from from uh, the first batch that they're not together it's not like they're in one place this is not in Tebe in 1976 mm-hmm. that that ca- you know uh, airport that can be stormed these guys are probably spread all over the strip uh, they're probably in the darkness underground um and and uh, I really feel for them, mm. and 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 they have become a bargaining chip uh, in in uh, in the negotiations. I mean, I, you know, I think uh, Netanyahu is kind of is, is on the record of saying that the Palestinian, uh, or the Hamas demands are uh, ridiculous and insane uh, because they're demanding so many prisoners to be released, etc. Et and it's hard. I mean, don't forget this was the prime minister that released over a thousand people for mm. Gilad Shalit. Uh, those days are gone. But still, uh, in the in the two in the two arms that of the of the ra- reason for the war, I think uh, defeating Hamas has taken far more precedence mm. over getting uh, getting the hostages back. Mm. Unfortunately, mm. but th- this is something I wondered, and I, I assume there's a, a lot of conversation about it. I mean, I don't hear it, but that is the point: is at what point is, is and this adds, adds to obviously to complexity. Do you? say to the hostages are actually casualties of mm. war because young mm. men mm. and many of whom are, re- are now uh, well not so much the very young men but m- a lot of men they are reservists mm. at what point do you sacrifice that Israel it's a terrible conundrum you know it, it is a terrible conundrum but Israel has the reputation and I take my hat off to them for never leaving anyone behind mm-hmm. whether it's having to retrieve the bodies of, of people you know uh, Ron Arad I think was was kidnapped in 1986 by by the Palestinians I, I'm not sure they've got his body back and they're still mm-hmm. fighting for that mm-hmm. so it's leave no one behind mm-hmm. literally so I'd there may be a terrible point where it it says okay we we have to leave but there's you know there's there's human feelings there's, mm. there's it's, it's very very complex i don't see any scenario at in, at the moment where israel would say you know pity we lost uh, 200 mm. people or 130 people um, and Hamas knew that, and mm. that they knew, no, that's what they and were. they were wildly more successful on October the seventh than they ever believed. You know, I think they thought they'd take a handful, and all of a sudden they had two hundred and forty hostages. That's right. Um, I mean, part of the whole res- sort of Western approach. My sense is with with America, particularly um, Europe. Europe is Europe, uh, but with America is is that notwithstanding, you know, being in involved for decades they don't understand the paradigm they they, they're trying to appease iran for all sorts of odd reasons without understanding the personality without understanding that what we see in the west as strength they see as weakness Mm. and and we as a result we've now got the houthis in 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 the red sea but we've got hezbollah on the on the north we've got hamas on the on the east i mean the only way out is, is is the sea and all of that was raised when Obama wanted to get into this agreement with Iran about a nuclear power. 
and the concentration was, no, we've got to deal with the nuclear power, not, not the terrorism. And now, I mean, essentially, the, the, the West, the, the America has ended up in the, in the worst world, and we, we can only say, we told you so. Absolutely. And, and you know, I think, uh, uh, you know, Biden's heading into an election and uh, um, he's facing a lot of dissent from the left wing of the Democratic Party. Uh, the bipartisanship that Israel has enjoyed from uh, the American Congress is is fraying. Mm-hmm. And, and look how hard they've had to fight to put this aid package through for Israel and for, for Ukraine. Um, it's used as a political football and we, you know, the, 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 the race for the White House is only going to intensify. So, yeah, in a way, the sort of benign neglect of, of the Middle East uh, doesn't go away. Mm. And it comes back and it, it, it comes back more viciously. Mm. Um, probably probably the, the, the last issue, I've suddenly forgotten the last issue I was on canvas. I'm sort of getting so ahead of myself on this. Um, but... Yes, the, the thing is, the Americans and the Saudis have said one of the way this situation has to be resolved by a two-state solution. The extraordinary thing about this, and this is obviously to appeal to whoever back home, because the obvious, the problem with this is that nobody in the fight wants a well, two-state solution. I heard that. I heard that uh, on TV the other day. I think on CNN, where they said everybody wants a two-state solution except for the Israelis and the Palestinians. Um, so uh, Netanyahu is pushing back and says this will not be imposed from the outside. You know, the Palestinians have been playing this game. They have embassies. They have observer status at the UN. They are, have lots of countries that have recognized them. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it, and, and the practicalities of having a two-state solution, you have, you know... I think over 500,000 people who have settled in the West Bank. Um, what Are you going to uproot all of that? And the, the one thing that I, I must emphasize is when people talk about a two-state solution, they never, ever say that Israel is the Jewish state. Mm. They want a state that's going to be... Uh, have have the government that its electorate votes on and eventually there may be more Palestinians or more more Arabs living in Israel than Jews and it will cease to be a Jewish mm. state. They never say we'll have a Jewish state uh, um, no. alongside no. an Arab state or a Palestinian state. They always say a two-state solution, mm-hmm. hoping that one of those states loses its Jewish mm. character. And perhaps, last comment, is because of the, I don't say the rise of anti-Semitism, but the freedom with which people were allowed have been allowed to express their their hatred and their ignorance worldwide. In fact, is probably the one good thing, quote unquote, to come out of that is that Israel, the existence of a Jewish state, is only going to be strengthened by the attacks on the state and on and on Jews in mm. general. And uh, um, yeah, I mean, as you say. I mean, for the America to think they could, you know, that the Middle East, what has Jake Sullivan said, was peaceful. Or one of, one of his uh, one of his advisors said, you know, nothing's happening in the Middle East. Something's always happening mm. in the Middle East. Mm. So, yeah, and it's not always between the Israelis and the Palestinians. Exactly. Uh, you know, uh, anybody who's as old as me and will me. remember the Iran-Iraq war that raged for eight years with basically no no conclusion. Uh, you know, the Houthis in. In, in Yemen, there's been a Yemen, in Syria, you know, it's, it's not only the Arab-Israeli conflict. I think that seems important. I think I'll have to get you back very soon to follow up on the next question. Thank you very much, Stephen. Thanks, for Sarah. Thank you for having me.